Good morning and welcome to Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. It is episode 90. Ben, if we stop recording for the week, we can end this week. (laughs) Yeah, but as you said, we will probably miss some days soon for upcoming holidays and then we'll be off kilter again. Not if we skip those weeks. Yes, we could just skip strategically. People will understand because of my my fixation on that. It is email Wednesday. We have some emails. We, uh, well, we have some emails. Yeah. I wouldn't say that we... Did we say who we are and what we're doing here? Uh, well, I said the name of the podcast. Okay, that's enough. All right. All right. Uh, so we have some emails. We have uh, chosen a few that we will read almost for the first time. Yeah. And <laughs> we will answer them as best we can. Mm-hmm. Um do you want to read um, a question? I do. Uh, this first question is from Scott from Cincinnati, and he says, I was wondering if moving Chapman to the rotation is the best move for the Reds. Obviously, there is no debate on starter innings versus reliever innings, but I'm looking at this more from the financial standpoint and what is better for the Reds specifically. I believe Chapman has three years left on his deal. Being left-handed, I am sure he would get a huge deal as a starter, even if he wouldn't meet expectations. That probably puts the Reds out where they could be in the mix to make him a top-paid closer. So my question is, would it be better for the Reds to have three seasons of Chapman starting or another eight or so years of him closing? So now we are going to talk about the Reds. Uh, And a starter-reliever conversion question. Yes. Uh, Well, I think that specifically he just wants to know whether, if I'm understanding the question right, uh, he's suggesting that uh, perhaps the Reds could in a way, sort of sabotage his value and therefore keep him longer. Yeah, um, or sabotage his his earning potential, I guess. Or is that yeah. what is, yeah. I think it was more his value, um, but there's, there's, there would be two sort of ideas maybe that could be incorporated into that. One is that he would make less in arbitration if he were a reliever. Um, and also that he would make less on the open market if he were seen as a reliever. I think that that is probably not a strategy that teams would be well to follow um, because the Reds want to get as much value out of him as they can while they have him, mm-hmm. and um, that's probably their primary goal. There's probably, I would say, if, uh, if he thought that he was going to be a starter and uh, the Reds refused to let him. He would actually be more likely to leave mm-hmm. after he reached free agency so that he could become a starter elsewhere. Um, and uh, so I would say that the Reds should concern themselves with getting as much value out of him as they can before he goes and becomes a Dodger in <laughs> a, a few years. So, um, so it's like a bait and switch, basically. We are, we're paying him to be a closer, and then we will make him a starter finally once I'm, he's making closer money. I mean, they could make him a right fielder, and then he would be really terrible. Like, <laughs> right. he, he probably wouldn't be worth like even like a million dollars at that point. So you could sign him forever mm-hmm. if you were right fielder. Uh, I mean, if you if you if you made him be a catcher, he probably would like just imagine how bad Araldus Chapman would be as a catcher. <laughs> but he would still. I mean, would he make less money because he would still have the potential to be? the pitcher it's not like anyone is like oh i guess he's a catcher now i guess he can't play any other position (laughs) i think that's exactly right i think that it would just be well i don't know i mean um okay so to to 
I mean, I, I think that we're basically dismissing the idea, but just to, to, to at least talk about it, can you think of, um, uh, are there pitchers who have gone through the starter slash reliever, um, uh, dance at, at a young age and then after just like five or six years made the switch, I guess CJ Wilson always wanted to start uh-huh. and he finally got to with his team. And um, maybe like Carlos Villanueva right now is is wanting to be signed as a starter. Um, but, you know, it does seem like once you kind of get set, like Papelbon, mm-hmm. right? Nobody's yes. talking about Papelbon a starter. Yeah. It but seems... maybe that's, I gave you one example. Maybe one example is nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, I guess there, I mean, there's, it took Feliz a while, but he was still under team control and everything. And I guess he yeah, didn't the arbitration. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Well, yeah. okay. So we're going to come down against the idea of, uh, of deceiving Aroldis Chapman into paying him less money. Yeah. All right. Hopefully we understood that question. Correctly. <laughs> yes. Uh, and if not, we will Steve never. Steve Cincinnati is probably thinking, why are Scott they making fun Cincinnati. of him? Scott in Cincinnati is wondering why we're making fun of him when that's not even what he was asking. It's not a bad question. We it's just, not a bad question. We, uh, we just object to talking about the Reds in general. So. Yes. Uh, okay, next question. Uh, let's see, maybe this will be a kind of a quick one. I've been thinking a lot about the Jose Molina discussion a few weeks back in relation uh, this is not going to be a quick one i, I think it, it might be uh it's ben Lindbergh plus jose molina <laughs> i'm gonna leave i i'm gonna i'm checking out um this is from joel by the way uh i've been thinking a lot about the jose molina discussion a few weeks back in relation to the phillies the team i most follow most closely follow watching their starting staff they are also reliant on command and getting calls on the corners for success whether it's Halliday, Hamels, or Lee, or even Kendrick or Worley, all five pitchers excel when they are getting calls. I'm sure this is true of most pitchers in baseball, no doubt about it, but it does feel particularly unique to this staff, or maybe it's a myopic view as I watch more Phillies games than any other team. Anyway, I guess the question is this. How much how much better could a great framing catcher add to a staff like this? Carlos Ruiz has a great reputation in the Phillies clubhouse for game calling and handling of the staff, but what if you added Molina-like framing to his arsenal? Is he saving 50 runs as a catcher with any staff, or is it possible that number goes up when he's catching pitchers more reliant on the skill set? Uh, so, I guess. Well, that, can I can I answer a little bit, and then you can talk forever? Well, I only just wanted to point out that that Carlos Ruiz apparently is good at this already. He's really good at it. But yeah. that's what I was going to say. Is I wonder whether he, I wonder whether a, uh, a catcher who catches these type of pitchers actually has, uh, would be in a position to accumulate a lot more positive value by our metrics mm-hmm. because of it. Um, I mean, it, we talked a little bit about who gets the credit right. for this. And um, I think we, you, you lean definitely toward the catcher, and I lean mostly toward the catcher. Um, but, you know, I don't know that – I don't know. It doesn't seem to me that Ruiz ever had that reputation before we started measuring it. No. Well, I, I don't even know that he's been that great in previous years. It seems like I, I was just looking at, at Max's numbers and he didn't seem to be that great for previous years. But this year he was like 30 runs compared to Molina's, yeah. 50, which is really good. Uh, well, I, I, and he missed all that time. I think it, it, when I looked at one point, I thought he was leading baseball and then he missed all that time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder if catching, for instance, I wonder if catching Cliff Lee 
and Roy Halladay is like the equivalent of like playing right field in um, AT&T Park where you just like you get turbo boosted numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also wonder, um, I don't know. I, I mean, it, I think with with my general impression of pitchers is they're very bad at locating pitches that what you think of as a as a pitcher with good command misses like by six inches every time instead of by eight inches every time as you said ian kennedy can just stand at the plate and walk all the time yeah exactly and so i'm i'm a little i i have to admit even though we talked about it with molina i'm a little skeptical of the idea that there are many pitchers who are actually able to carve off you know an inch at a time the way that you know that uh, a catcher like this might really be uh, deployed effectively, but if anybody can, I mean, it would certainly be Cliff Lee and Roy Halladay and, you know, a little bit of Hamill. I mean, like we noted before, they had the, I think they had the lowest walk rate in baseball this year. And, um, so they are those kinds of pitchers. I guess in the abstract, the less able you are to get swing strikes, possibly the more you would benefit from having a, a good framing catcher. I suppose if you are more reliant on called strikes as a as a percentage of your total strikes, uh, David Robertson is, uh, as I've mentioned, one of my <laughs> favorite people also, and he is notable for getting a ton of called strikes. He gets more called strikes than I think any pitcher except Carlos Marmol uh, as a percentage of strikes. So called strikes over total strikes. Uh, and I wonder how much of that has been the fact that he has had good framing catchers for basically his entire career. Um, I'm sure that has something to do with it, although I think it has a lot to do with his deception, but that is an entire other podcast topic. Uh, would, I would not have guessed Carlos Marmol. You should have... Yeah, I think it is Carlos Marmol because... Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's... we should have done a 20 minute podcast <laughs> of you just throwing that out there and me guessing pictures. All right, I'll edit it out. Um, okay. Well, I'm gonna now. Now I'll guess it. Now I know. Yeah. Uh, and okay. And there was other Carlos Ruiz news last night, but I guess we won't get into that. Um, did you have anything else to say about Jose Molina, etc.? Or are we moving on? I think we should probably move on. If I start. Do the Marvin Miller. Do the Marvin Miller one. All right. Uh, the Marvin Miller one is Chris from Durham, North Carolina. Rank in order of importance to the history of baseball. Marvin Miller, Jackie Robinson, Branch Rickey, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, Bud Selig, Rob Deere. So, um, the, I, I mean, I, I'm not going to rank them. I don't really know how to rank them. Mm-hmm. But I, when I saw that question, um, what it sparked in my mind is the, I mean, it's pr- everybody who I follow uh, is, you know, are they're all big fans of Marvin Miller. I'm a big fan of Marvin Miller. He was uh, extremely good at his job. I think that the that the skill that he used in um, bringing these changes to baseball showed, um, you know, I mean, he was just a remarkable strategist, very disciplined man, um, and clearly was on, you know, the right side, I think. Um, it was, uh, as far as fairness and, and equity and just being right, I don't think there's, you know, really any way to dispute that the players were uh, being uh, mistreated and that the, that the 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 way that you know baseball was run was uh, for the benefit of only a few at the expense of of you know fairness and justice mm-hmm. so uh, there's I have absolutely no disputing that great man should be in the Hall of Fame but 
I just wonder, do you think that an argument could be made um, as to whether he was actually good for baseball? He was clearly good for baseball players. But do you think an, an argument can be made that he was bad for baseball or the baseball writing, uh, watching experience? Uh, yeah, I guess in the sense that there's more turnover on rosters now and people tend to like players staying put, um, even if it was because of the reserve clause. Uh, so I guess in that sense, I don't know that the question necessarily requires that the person made baseball better. Uh, I no, it, certainly not. Yeah. It's a, I'd read it's it as a, just a, impact a, one way or another. Yeah. Um, so I don't know, I guess, I mean, how much of an impact has Marvin Miller had on the game on the field itself? do you think? I mean, the actual playing of the game, I guess he has obviously changed the salaries and changed change player patterns moving from one team to another and changed all sorts of off-the-field issues. Um, but how much does that change the actual game? Um, I don't know. That's a, if that... Yeah, that's a spectacular question. I don't know, but I mean, you could somebody could write many words... Yeah. about that question. I don't really know the answer. And I was I was kind of thinking of it in terms of what would have happened if not, if these people hadn't come along at the time that they did. You figure that some of the changes that these people have been responsible for would have happened anyway, um, possibly not too long after they did, if there had been an alternate history. I mean... If there had been no Brant Rickey and Jackie Robinson, uh, I mean, maybe baseball would have been integrated a year later by Bill Veck and, and Larry Doby or something. And I don't know that they would have been as good candidates to do it, uh, and possibly it wouldn't have worked out as well, and there could have been setbacks, and it, it, would, have, uh, it would have backfired in some sense. So there's that. I don't think you can argue that, that Jackie Robinson was kind of the perfect person to be the first. Um, but it's not as if we would still have segregated baseball today, if not for Jackie Robinson. At some point, right. it would have happened. Whereas if you look at someone like Bud Selig, for instance, the changes that he has made have not certainly been universally as as good as that one. Uh but maybe some of the things that he's done wouldn't have happened if not for him. Stuff like the the wild card or interleague play or or all star games ending in ties would not have happened. Spider Man ads on the <laughs> on the bases. Right. So in that sense, in the the changing the course of history sense, maybe uh, maybe Bud Selig in a way has had even a greater impact, if not necessarily a better impact. Although Branch Rickey did many, many other things besides integration that changed the game quite a bit. Do you think that um, do you think that the changes to the game that came from Babe Ruth would have happened anyway? <sighs> um, that is an excellent question. I don't know. Uh, it has always kind of fascinated me that that he was such an outlier for quite a while 
as... Do you ever feel like Babe Ruth was maybe not actually real? That <laughs> like when you look at it, it doesn't it doesn't really hold up, you know? Like it doesn't really pass the sniff test, and no. you, you kind of wonder whether like maybe this was just a hoax that got out of hand. <laughs> it is hard to believe because he couldn't have been that much more gifted than everyone else. I don't think, and you hear people say, well. He just had a different style. People weren't trying to hit home runs which until is Babe, which so is bananas. right. It's, I mean, it never occurred to anyone that it would possibly be a good idea to to just score easily. I don't know. Um, so I don't know. Uh, but I guess he changed tons of stuff, and and the ball changed, and and I mean, stylistically, as far as game to game and tactics and just what the rhythm of the game looks like i guess it would be hard to to beat him um and then i guess there's there's landis who kind of uh put the game back on on a sort of more respectable footing after the the black Sox scandal and then did his best to make sure integration didn't happen for the next 25 years um I don't know whether it would have happened sooner if not for for Landis or not, possibly. Uh, and then there's Rob Deere. <laughs> there's Rob Deere, who I guess that was in, in there because he's yeah. going to be a hitting coach. So with Miller, uh, I think that there are maybe three areas where I think that you could uh, argue that it either was a net gain for the experience of following baseball or a net loss, depending on your perspective. One is that Thanks to, and I mean, I say Miller, but basically what I'm, what we mean is, you know, the end of the reserve clause. Baseball uh, is, as you know, writing about it, is no longer confined to a six-month schedule. It is a year-long thing. Without free agency, we would not have the hot stove. And I don't think that you can really, um, I mean, the hot stove is an amazing thing. It really, uh, baseball is such a daily experience that that we live through I mean, and it's a rhythm that you get into the hot, that the hot stove i mean the term predates free agency right? oh shut up I mean, <laughs> when they had stoves and sat around them but okay. so there was some stuff going on yeah okay uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, and if there had been more going on it would have been harder to follow with no twitter all right. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> so I think that that's a I think that's a net gain for following baseball to have something in the news. I mean, to have something in the newspaper about baseball every day. I mean, not that you read the newspaper, but when you did. <laughs> so that's one thing. Uh, the um, uh, I think that the experience. I, I I actually have been going back and forth on this in my head. I don't know whether it's more fun to watch baseball players uh, knowing that they make. 500 times more than you or not mm-hmm. i think that it might actually be more fun because then it puts them in this kind of uh, larger than life um realm that you could never hope to be in and it kind of creates the, a, a little bit of a more legendary um you know a legendary feel about them you know it feels like you're watching guys who are like great greater than you you know that like you want to root for kind of heroes and if they were making you know, if 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 um, Miguel Cabrera like was delivering your mail right now in the off season, like he might have been sixty years ago, I don't know. You know, like I could see that kind of going either way. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you're told 
distant from them, you you can't relate to them at all because they live a life totally unlike yours. So it could go, like I said, it could go either way. Yeah. I mean, you certainly hear uh, like old Brooklyn Dodgers fans talking about how the Dodgers would play stickball with kids in the streets and they were just kind of part of the neighborhood and you identified even more closely with the team because there wasn't a separate stratosphere. Um, But yeah, I see what you're saying. I'm not sure which way I'd go. I think right now at the very at the moment, I think that it's worse for the experience of watching baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in a few minutes, I might change my mind. And then the last thing, of course, is just the idea of the competitive, um, you know, competitive balance between teams. It seems, given you know the last twenty years and given how the payroll disparity is so um, obvious and visible, and you know, I think uh, you know with these TV contracts, it's coming up again. But um, it, so it seems as though free agency has has made it harder to compete, but I think that the, I think that's wrong. I think if I understand it correctly, it's actually the case is that um, that the reserve clause sort of protected um, dynasties in a way mm-hmm. because players, you know, you you didn't really have a way to build. And right now, I mean, obviously the 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 Royals, for instance, are at a disadvantage in signing players and in trying to get you know big money contracts out there and everything but they are technically able to go out and sign every player you know every few years they could go sign zach granke right now they could sign josh hamilton right now and so um tim marchman wrote um about this about six years ago for oh i don't even remember where he wrote it but uh, he, I, this was useful to me. Miller didn't just help players become incomprehensibly rich. As he knew all along, the fight over the balance of power between labor and management is never a zero-sum game. It's one that everyone can win. His assault on baseball's feudal structure led to a vastly improved and much more competitive game, which led to more fans being willing to spend money on it, which led to owners making greater profits and baseball becoming an ever more integral part of the culture. So I think that in that case, Miller is victorious. Right. Uh, all right, so I think I need to end. Do you have okay. anything else Marvin Miller or the other names that were brought up? Uh, I don't think so. Okay. So that was Email Wednesday. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with Episode 91 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Perspectives.